Welcome to Passimir's CAM Podcast, Conversations on Aerodigestive Management. This episode of CAM features your host, Dr. Kristen King, and guests, speech-language pathologists Joanne Kabakungan and Hilary Sample, having a conversation on oral care and hygiene, part two. Welcome again, everyone, to another episode of Conversations on Aerodigestive Management, the CAM podcast. Today, I'm continuing my conversation with Hillary Sample and Joanne Kabakungan. So welcome back, Hillary and Joanne. I'm excited to talk with you again, talking about infection control, but not the regular infection control. We're talking about oral hygiene and oral care and how that may be the new infection control that we all need to really focus on. It is infection control because um, pneumonia is the second most common uh, associated infection in the hospital. Yeah. I think we've all, I mean, I, and I'm saying we, and I'm kind of putting that on all SLPs and I'm, and I know we shouldn't generalize, but even I, in all of my years of practice and I knew oral care was important so to speak, I'm kind of doing air quotes and people can't see me. And I did it way back before, like we said, Langmore's article, because I graduated in 95. I have a couple of years on you there, Joanne, <laughs> with the practice. But I did oral care, but no one ever really, other than comfort, I was really doing it back then for comfort. It was sort of like, I had always said, if I was a patient, there were two things that needed to be done with me if I was not conscious. One was brush my teeth and the other was shave my legs because <laughs> I, I wanted to be comfortable. Yeah. And that was my thought on it was it was a comfort thing to make patients be more comfortable and feel better. And, you know, that aspect of it, I didn't realize the significance and the importance of doing the oral care. And I think that's grown with the research, but I think we need to really put it under that infection control category. I agree because, you know, we were talking about, you know, when we heard about Ashford's pillars of pneumonia and that oral care is so important when we were look, preparing and doing some more of the research, when it lists every article we looked at hospital acquired pneumonia was one of the top in, uh, infections. Some articles had it number two, but it was always listed in the top five hospital acquired infections. So it is infection control. So there's other things that are with that. We might just list those like cowdies. What else would be in those top infections? Because uh, those are the ones that get attention. So that's uh, oh, yes. Yeah, so I, I even texted some family that just graduated from nursing school. So mm-hmm. to see what they learned about, and it was the catheter associated mm-hmm. UTIs, what mm-hmm. Hillary just alluded to pneumonia, sepsis, central line infection, and and it wasn't wound. I forget the fifth one, but those are the ones that everybody thinks about. But interestingly enough, we were doing some of the research and hospital acquired pneumonia, the length of stay in the ICU goes up 6.1 days and um, hospitalization goes up by 10 and a half days. And along with, you know, we're here on your podcast with Passy here and a primary cause of that is patients on ventilators. It's not solely patient on ventilators, however, because everybody needs oral care. Because you mentioned patients on ventilators, you can kind of put with that aspiration associated pneumonia, you have what's called VAP, which is ventilator acquired or ventilator associated pneumonia. And if you read into that, it's because of the introduction of bacteria with intubation and with, and it, and it 
originates really with intubation, not so much with the tracheostomy. Right. And it's where they introduced bacteria with intubation. And if we think about patients who are intubated, they don't get any oral care. So it's not just the introduction initially, but then you've got whatever time they're intubated, they have this extensive time basically for their mouth to become a bacteria haven of growth right. and, and development, you know, and, and, and so it really puts them at, at greater risk. And to, to add to that, or to piggyback on that as back as far back as 1978, there was a Stanley Schwartz at all from Pittsburgh found that harmful gram negative bacteria colonized the trachea in only three days of endotracheal intubation. So we've known this for a very long time, but it makes perfect sense. Not only are, have we introduced it and the person's not getting oral care, but their, their mouth is open. And so think about what we just said about all that hyposalivation. Well, if the mouth is open, it's going to be drier, you know, too. So there's, a, and you know, there's just a lot going on with the things that actually help to moisten the oral cavity are, are mitigated, you know, uh, are hindered by the presence of the endotracheal tube. And it's something that if that patient goes on to then have a tracheostomy, because some patients will get extubated and be able to get started with you know, PO and, and kind of progress on, not have um, the tracheostomy. But if they go on to the tracheostomy, we still are kind of avoiding the oral cavity if they're right. not speaking because they're still, you know, they're breathing through their tracheostomy tube. So it's really important in that patient population to have that as a, almost an initial checkpoint. Like people say, oh, what can I as an SLP, when can I get involved? Well, we can get involved early on. And one of the, this is one of the areas, you know, right. we could get in there for oral care, oral hygiene, and really getting them starting to use the oral structures again, you know, and getting them because getting them back towards speaking and, you know, just using that upper airway and having a better, uh, less colonization of bacteria, but having, you know, a better environment, a safer, less infection based environment. Definitely. A lot of that um, goes to our own role as educating, educating our colleagues, our nursing staff, whether that be the nurses or their nursing assistants, or even our colleagues in occupational therapy that are seeing the patients as well, that it's a team approach, mm -hmm. you know, to getting the oral care done. Mm -hmm. And Hillary found this really interesting article yesterday um, by DiGiulio et al. in 2023. So it's from this year. They did, they scooped me on research I would have loved to have done is they went into it over 5,000 patient rooms and of the rooms in this study, 46% of the patients did not even have a toothbrush available or had an unopened toothbrush that's still in the package. So nearly 50%, 2,455 did not have a toothbrush that was being used or present. And here, and here, as we're saying that pneumonia is one of the leading causes of hospital acquired infections and how the, the, um, environment worsens that, you know, the bacterial colonization goes up with stress. Well, it also, there's more pathogens in the environment when you're in a hospital setting, but what the one thing that I want to talk about with our roles. So she's talking about engaging with our colleagues and have that team approach, which we are both big advocates for. It's just, there's nothing else like interdisciplinary care. I mean, it just matters. Um, our patients definitely reap the benefits of that, but I, we've both heard uh, frequently that it's not my job to brush teeth as an SLP. And, you know, I just have to, I just have to disagree wholeheartedly with everything I have in my bones. 
So people think thickening liquids is part of our job. They think modifying diets is part of our job. What's the purpose that they think that that serves? They're avoiding some adverse outcome. That's what they believe, right? They're avoiding the adverse outcome of a possible pneumonia or choking, whatever. So what am I doing when I am both doing oral care, educating about oral care and including oral care in goals in the plan of care is mitigating risk of that adverse outcome that we're all looking at, which is a possible aspiration pneumonia, while also improving quality of life and not having all these restrictive recommendations because I am doing what I have power to do and, and empowering the patient to make the environment less hospitable for a colonization of bacteria in the lower respiratory tract. So, you know, how many of us write our, our goals for um, swallow safety is, you know, they will be able to consume blah, blah, blah. Um, without evidence of pneumonia or, you know, um, or malnutrition, dehydration. And so you've, you've already, you know, hit one of those things you're, you're working on without evidence of, you know, too. So all of those things, plus you're also meeting that other goal. We, we need to, I think we really need to recognize that oral care. And you had said this before, Kristen, that oral care, um, that our role in management of oral health is to mitigate risk and reduce those needlessly restrictive recommendations and to reduce the risk of the out adverse outcome. We're already focused on it. We just need to see that oral care is a, is a very important piece of that puzzle. And that's why I was mentioning we could get in there sooner. And I, I went a step further and said, because if they have proper oral care and these are side benefits, because the primary is the infection control and mitigating mm -hmm. that risk. But then we're also establishing the patient's ability to better use the oral structures yes. and to better prepare them for PO and for communication and just their ability to kind of interact with their environment. They'll be more motivated because they're going to feel better. Like it, it has a psychological impact and it has just the overall benefit with communication and swallowing and and the other pieces that we're looking at. So it's not a standalone, oh, I don't brush teeth. It's all of the pieces that go along with the oral care, like you were sharing. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And which is, you know, what you're talking about with improving the functionality of the oral structures, um, you know, we do things like we recommend liquid washes and we moisten food and things like that. Well, doing oral care increases salivary production. So it's, it's the same thing, but it's even easier. You don't have to modify something. You don't have to train strategies. You have to, you're, we're training something that they already need to do. So we're not augmenting. We're not doing so much like modifying their life, modifying their behavior. We're just helping them to increase the things they'll need to do for their lifetime in order to lessen their risk. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give a quick example. I had a patient that I've received a referral for, for fees in the ICU. And this was back in the late nineties. And I went up and one of their primary concerns was one, the PO and two, the nurse was like, we can't understand anything. He says his speech is very unintelligible. There's nothing, you know, it's just really bad. And I was like, well, I'll, I don't have orders for that. Cause I only had orders for swallowing, but I'll ask for orders for a speech evaluation too. And then I get in there and I, and I start working with him. And his oral cavity and soft palate and posterior wall of pharynx were coated in this mm -hmm. thick, hard, 
mucus slash blood slash what, I don't know what all was in it. Right. It took over two hours to clean it out because it was so adhered to the mucosal tissue. So it really was a process. And once we got it cleared out, guess what? His speech was relatively intelligible. I mean, it was not that he, and they were like, we can't understand the thing. And you couldn't, cause he sounded sort of like, definitely. you know, that's all you were getting, but we got all that cleared out and he did have a mild dysarthria, but you could understand him. He could move his tongue. He could move his palate. He could actually resonate normally for speech. And, and it made a world of difference in his ability to communicate. I don't mean any of this is like a judgment or, or sounding, you know, pejorative, but like it's, it is common sense things that we sometimes forget when we, when we get into a patient room, like, like the structures need to be moist and they need to be clear of all that funky debris in order to function properly. But it's, it's some of those things, just the more trained we are, like sometimes we forget those very simple things, you know? And my, and my point in sharing that story was that oral care can help with not just the patient comfort, but communication and other aspects. That patient felt much better after that, was able to have clear speech and didn't have, you know, he was not unintelligible as he had been. I was going to say to piggyback on that as well, my, one of my nursing friends and colleagues will say, you know, if we talk about as we partner with nursing and dietary about people who have low PO intakes or people who are able to eat, she's very thoughtful. And she said, well, one of her first comments that when a patient tells her she's not hungry, well, let's go brush your teeth mm-hmm. because you don't want to eat when, when you have that, as you've referenced earlier, that cotton mouth or that mm-hmm. film on your, uh, the hairy feeling teeth, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of times just to get our patients to eat and increase their PO intake can be as simple as a toothbrush. Absolutely. That's such a good point. I actually have had people laugh at me because we'll go to eat and I'll be like, I got to go brush my teeth. They're like, we're getting ready to eat. And I'm like, I want a clean, I want a clean mouth. (laughs) Whatever meal I'm going to eat. Right. Yeah. Why aren't we thinking of that for our patients? Yeah. Right. And going back to what you were talking about, I know I'm skipping back, but just breaking up, getting the moisture in the mouth to break up all the dried, thick, crusty secretions, you know, how many fees have we seen where it's an NPO throat that's also filled with that? And then you give like a couple teaspoons of, of water and all of a sudden they can cough all that gunk out and then they can swallow normally. So I just wanted to kind of reiterate what you said about like restoring function to structures that really need moisture in order to um, move as they're intended to move, you know, like a world care, a lot of times, like, because it increases that salivary production and we, we see better throats, you know, even when somebody is NPO, but it just, it brings me to those misconceptions that people have about like when we are allowed to do oral care. And I even read in an article recently, like if they're not a big aspiration risk and oral care is, is seen as, uh, outweighs as the benefits outweigh the risk. And I'm like, no, no, no. Um, then you can do, you know, oral care because we know it serves a great purpose. And it's just like, that's amazing to me that that's, um, that anybody believes that because the misconception is that they're better off with having nothing in there. A lot of people, um, I've run into not necessarily SLPs, but healthcare staff, especially those that aren't directly as involved with like the nursing side of things, they think of NPO and they think nothing in the mouth, absolutely nothing, including a toothbrush. 
And so it's just, I think it's important to help educate our colleagues that the, you know, not having anything, you're always going to have something in your mouth and it's not going to be clean unless you put a toothbrush in there too. So let's, let's do a quick rundown kind of to sum up all the points that we've been talking about. I think we've really emphasized the importance of it and what it contributes to the patient's care. So it was mentioned interdisciplinary team, Mm -hmm. which everybody has a role, I think, and, you know, in oral hygiene and seeing what that patient needs care wise. Is there anything you want to share about the role of any, any professions or anything? I think a lot of it is just providing the education to the staff and the patients and the families. I know a lot of times um, I was telling Hillary yesterday, and I think she said she does the same thing because oral care is so important and not just with our patients with dysphagia, but all our patients, I bring it up to every patient that I see Mm -hmm. and and their families are sitting there listening and and they realize and say to me, I didn't, I never thought about that. And then I'm going to tell my other friends that when they go to the hospital, they need to brush their teeth, but it's educating on those risks. And I make it a goal for my patients. I talked about how it's changed some of my goals, my patients that are a severe risk of uh, pneumonia based on those three Ashford pillars. I now make it a goal that they understand those risks that they can tell me two out of the three reasons that increases their risk for a pneumonia so that they can make an informed decision for one of what they are going to choose to eat and drink, but then also um, to empower them that this is the one thing they have control over, you know, so they can control those that are able to initiate and do oral care themselves or can advocate for help that this is one thing they can do to reduce the risks of pneumonia. And I think I've noticed, I've been doing that probably the last six months to a year that that's one of my goals. And it's amazing that the patients are, I walk in the door, I've already asked, I've already done my oral care and, and they're really starting to realize that that empowers them as well. And I think that's been very helpful. So it's also including the family on part of that interdisciplinary team, especially once you get to the rehab setting, I'm not, you know, the acute setting might be a little bit different, but on the rehab setting you know, the families can help them brush their teeth as well. (laughs) Yeah. I think that um, going to the interdisciplinary side of things, if you put oral care three plus times a day or oral care at all in your plan of care and your recommendations, you, you just, I can't stop after writing that and signing my note because who's going to ensure carryover of that aside from the person that recommended it. If our nurses or nursing aides or, or whomever is like in the person's mouth, the OT don't understand the, the benefits, the actual purpose as infection control versus comfort care, then they're not going to prioritize it necessarily. So we, like she was talking about with education is very important, but then also following up and seeing, you know, like how it's going, what, what I've made a habit of doing is just being grateful and expressing that gratitude when somebody is like helping me help the person like carry out that plan of care. Um, did you guys do oral care today? Oh my gosh, you did. Thank you so much. That is so helpful because they are at an, that they are at a high risk and you just, you just really helped them to diminish that risk in the moment, you know, like giving them supporting the fact that they are actually doing something wonderful for the patient. I mean, how many times have we had nursing come up to us and 
be concerned about a cough or, you know, something like, oh, the patient, I think they're aspirating, taking those moments to let them know, okay, but sometimes the cough's okay, but how's their oral care? You know, we actually did a, a fees or, or a modified in that cough. We're actually glad it's there because it is protective. It's working. But how is their oral care? Because that's actually where more of the risk is. Can we, you know, um, I did it once in my session. Can you do it in a couple of hours? And that's how I've been able to work with um, nursing and nursing aides and just slipping in that education. Um, I was on a on a talk the other day and I called it like the sneaky SLP stuff where you just kind of slip it in. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if it's some people actually might have an aversion. We've run into colleagues and, and um, other SLPs that just don't like to do oral care. But if you recognize it for what it is as an infection control, then, you know, there's a lot of things that we do in the healthcare setting that could be, you know, something that's not that comfortable to do. Um, but we do it anyway, because it's for the person's benefit and we're healthcare workers. It's what we do. So really establishing the purpose behind what we're doing. So we, we team up with OT, PT, if they're in the bathroom, if they're working on those goals or, you know, standing and things like that, why not in front of a sink doing oral care balance in front of the sink doing oral care, you know, that initiate, like when, what are as SLPs, we work on cognitive communication. So that's self-advocacy initiating oral care, asking for the supplies necessary or take me to the bathroom or whatever they need for, to complete it. Um, and then following the sequence to be able to complete it um, well, being thorough, all of those things can definitely be part of our plans of care across therapy, um, not just for dysphagia, but for cognitive communication. The CDC, an article we were reading, quoting the CDC, talked about, again, the infection control related around oral care, that the simple prevention of brushing costs pennies a day against the cost of treating pneumonia. And so the uh, U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimated that there were, according to this article, 157,500 healthcare-associated pneumonias in the country in 2011, so it's a little bit older. But according to the CDC, the average cost of treating one case of hospital-acquired pneumonia is almost $23,000 in 2011. And so that total cost of treating all those pneumonias at that year was over $3 billion. And that uh, all that information comes from Karen Scheffler's 2018 article, The Power of a Toothbrush. Highly recommend reading it. It is a fantastic article. Thank you, Hillary. I was trying mm -hmm. to remember who that was from. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just pennies a day. And, and, and there we're talking the big general. But again, as SLPs, we're, we're the power of one. I want to make a difference in that one person's life. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I can think about the big costs. So that's the kind of data you might take to your administrators. <laughs> you need to advocate. So that that's yes. the kind of data you can use. But in that moment, this one person is the most important person to me. And I'm going to make sure they get their oral care done. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I like that, Joanne, you mentioned the patient and family kind of at the center of that care and that Definitely. planning and training and education. Well, one thing I want to emphasize that you both just shared, oral care is often thought of as a side thing, you know, as, or what you do before you start therapy or before you start swallowing, but you both just talked about how it can be incorporated as a part of the therapy. And it can be, I mean, there's just so many things you can do with it. Like you said, the sequencing, the cognitive aspects, the thought you could do following directions, you could do mm -hmm. their problem solving. I mean, there was just so many ways yeah. it can be incorporated. You can even use it for language based therapy. 
as far as having them either describe what they're doing or name the pieces that you're using, or like you mentioned, Hillary with right hemisphere, even being able to localize and find the things that they're needing to use and, you know, and focus straight ahead at the mirror and things. So there's so many ways it could be incorporated directly into therapy and then they still get the good oral care, Yeah, you know, but, and that's the oral care is the side part of that, but it's a, but it's a main point of the therapy as far as using it to kind of balance out what you're working on. And it's okay. Um, sometimes when you're looking at those patients is to think about further referrals and recommendations. I've been known to recommend people yeah, follow sure. up with the dentist. So, you know, once they leave, you know, and they have, we oh, have these nerdy conversations with everyone, right? And so um, I go to my dentist and I was talking about this with him and he just said, so the exact reason why she's like, she's referring out to a dentist is there's some people, doesn't matter if you put a brush in their mouth or not, it's not going to change much until they go to the dentist and have those um, significantly decayed teeth extracted and things like that. So sometimes you just really have to refer out because you're not going to be able to significantly impact the the oral biome for, for any good. No, I agree. I agree completely with, with all of the above, like everything that we've been talking about. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time, but before we completely stop, I wanted to ask if you had any final thought or anything that you maybe didn't have an opportunity to say that you'd like to add on or, or something you did say, you just want to reemphasize it. We talked about application and that team approach, and there's just a good amount of studies that talk about the benefits of um, nursing intervention, like having your nurses kind of take charge with this. So the VA has the HAPPEN program where, you know, the training that they've gotten, they have 40 to 60% reduction in uh, non-ventilator association associated hospital-acquired pneumonia. Um, shorter lengths of stay, reducing the, the need for long-term care and improving patient safety and quality of life. Um, and then there was the Schlater and Pinzone in 2004. You can make a difference in five minutes. It was also a nursing intervention um, and where they went from about 60% re of nurses reported oral care being completed greater than four times a shift in general, improving up to 93% just with having a policy in place. And I think they went from what 5.6 ventilator associated pneumonia um, per a thousand vent days dropped down to two, two. So I, I, you know, there, and there's other ones too, a 50% reduction for the Ross and Crumpler article or Crumpler article in 2007, a 50% reduction in ventilator acquired pneumonia rates. Um, so it's just the, the evidence is out there and um, it's pneumonia in general. So we're, we're um, helping our patients directly, but we're also supporting like a, just the pneumonia that, that the hospital is worried about, you know, in general. And I think um, I would just add, Hillary added the research, and I'm just going to add that that personal touch back in there that, you know, whether it's our colleagues that we want to encourage them and thank them that it is a team approach. Mm -hmm. And when we let them know that it's not, it is comfort and it is a psychological impact, like you said earlier, Kristen, but it is infection control and that they this is one thing that we can help do to help reduce the risks of pneumonia in our patients. And to thank our colleagues, thank our nurses, they're busy, thank our nursing assistants or our um, occupational therapists that help us as well. And, and our fellow SLPs, mm -hmm. you know, as when we write those goals about Ashford's pillars or that the patient will complete oral care 
with this much cueing, because as Hillary said, you're not, you're not independent with oral care if you don't initiate you don't. it on your, if you don't initiate on your own. So I, I think there's the power in um, educating people and then also thanking them as well. Mm-hmm. Because no one wants to be part of the problem. All, we're all looking at um, trying to help the patients. Just, we don't always know exactly how. I agree completely. And I think those are good points to end on. I so thank you both for joining me today for the podcast and look forward to maybe talking with you both again sometime. Well, thank you for having us. We're very grateful to be here and thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of CAM. We are happy to offer continuing education credit through ASHA for this podcast. To receive credit, please go to www.passymuir.com podcast and click on the continuing education link under this episode. Then you will either create an account or log into your existing education portal account. Complete the quiz and course evaluation for your podcast episode. Your certificate will be available for download once completed.